Welcome back to Second and Short. It is December 30th, and we're recording this a little bit early today, um, before Thursday Night Football, um, but we'll get into that in just a second. Today we're going to be talking NFL Week 17, the playoff picture going into these last two weeks, a uh, little bit of MLB offseason news, and then we're going to be talking about the Premier League coming back, uh, what we think is going to happen this weekend and then uh, give a couple of players that we think you need to look out for for the rest of the season. And then, as always, we'll end it off with Stake Your Claim. Uh, Let's go ahead and just um, let's get our predictions for Cowboys-Titans. Obviously, when you're listening to this, game will have already happened, but I think uh, the Cowboys are going to win 31-17. to Wow. I... I think uh, I don't think the Titans will get into the end zone uh, uh, this game. I think it'll be twenty four six. Titans will kick okay. through, uh, field goals, but yeah, I, I don't see how Dobbs, uh, who actually is the starter this week for the Titans, they're not going with Malik Willis. Uh, that came out about fifteen minutes ago, twenty minutes ago, something like that. Um, don't see how the Titans are really going to have much success against the Cowboys unless they just feed the shit out of Derrick Henry. Yeah, I think that's the game plan, and I think, honestly, it'll probably work um, for a little bit. Obviously, you can't do much else than just feed Derrick Henry. Um, obviously, Josh Dobbs is a, a quarterback, but not good, nor serviceable, honestly. Yeah, and it kind of just makes you wonder, is Malik Willis completely busted? I mean, the Titans, you know, they're, they're in a position to where they really don't need starting Malik Willis. They're just on the brink of the playoffs, they might get eliminated. Might not know they need win games. And this Cowboys game is super important for, uh, for the Titans, especially since the Jags are red hot right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's kind of interesting that they're not going with Malik Willis to me. He has been horrible, but that they, they need to win, and Malik Willis isn't getting it done. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Malik's probably done he just hasn't really looked too good he'll probably get another chance somewhere else uh, maybe in the near future but i'm not too sure and one thing i need to address as well is that luke's audio is probably going to sound a little bit off today um his internet is out but um so he's calling in from his phone but um yeah let's go ahead and get into nfl week 17 um started off vikings packers packers three and a half point favorites at home and i think three and a half is a little bit high um, I know it's hard to argue against Aaron Rodgers at home late in the season versus a division opponent, but this is a Vikings team. Look, look, they win. I don't care how close the games are. They win games, and they're 12-3. and three. The Packers are 7-8, and eight. and yeah, the Packers are impressive uh, right now. I just don't think that three and a, I don't think they're three and a half points better than the Vikings. Yeah, I, I was wondering that as well, um, looking at it before. Before we started recording, and was super surprised. The Vikings are lining up, and I I think it'll be, be you know a lot closer game than the ending will be. Uh, but yeah, the, the Packers, you know, it's never about their red hot, but this Vikings team is very good. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think the problem right now for the Packers is that. Rodgers and Aaron Jones are questionable. Uh, it looks like Rodgers will practice Thursday and Friday, so today and tomorrow. But um, Jones was also limited on Wednesday. And both of these guys will do what they have to in order to play. Uh, that's just how they are. 
and it's because Rodgers just wants to win at all costs. But for Aaron Jones, he's still trying to keep his spot in Green Bay. He hasn't had the best season, but 38 rushing yards away from 1,000 this season, he wants to play, and he wants to get over that hump. Yeah, and and another thing that I wanted to comment on was uh, uh, Christian Watson is actually day-to-day as as well and and did not practice yesterday, which, you know, he's been a touchdown machine, machine for Green Bay. Um, and that obviously hurts them going into this divisional match against Vikings where, you know, you need to win to make the playoffs. And, yeah, I, I wanted to comment on a couple things because these two teams obviously have already played each other. You know, divisional teams play twice. You know, that's how it works. The first time these two teams met up, it was a strange game. The Packers only ran the ball 18 times, which is kind of strange. And A.J. Dillon was their leading receiver. So the, the first game, uh, the Vikings came out with the win but it was a super interesting game for the Packers as in like they did not only didn't look good but they didn't really look like their normal game plan offensive self yeah and that's kind of how they've been all season me uh, we've talked about it like every single episode the Packers need to run the ball more like they've got the talent and it just seems like they're too stuck in their old ways with Rodgers but I think the Vikings kind of have a similar problem. I think Dalvin needs to get the ball a little bit more, um, especially when it comes to the second half. Um, the Vikings need to be in control of the clock in this game. They got to stay on the field, run down the clock, and give Aaron Rodgers as little time as possible because I do think this is going to be a close game when it comes down to the fourth quarter. And if the Vikings can hold possession, continue to run down the clock, give Rodgers very little time, while also still working to build the lead, they've got a good chance. Yeah, and, you know, with Aaron Rodgers, no matter how old he gets, no matter how bad he gets, he's always going to have that clutch gene. And to your point, the Vikings need to run down the ball. Once again, going back to the first meetup between these two divisional opponents, the Vikings actually ran the ball 28 times, highly unlike them. Allen actually had 20 carries, also highly unlike them. Um, and James Madison had eight. And you saw that it worked. I want to say the first time they made up, it was 20-7. Packers didn't have the ball much, so they didn't score a lot. And that was due to the Vikings actually running the ball. I also wanted to comment that Justin Jefferson was 16 yards away from 200 yards against the Packers in their first meetup. That's, yeah, that's something important to look at. And I think that, you know, the key to the victory outside of just running down the clock for the Vikings is utilize the run while still sticking to this pass-heavy game plan. Look, Dalvin needs 20-plus carries in this game, but at the same time, Kirk needs 35-plus attempts because it is the recipe for success with this offense is passing the ball. But if you want to be successful against the Packers, you got to run down the clock. Yeah, and it's all going to be about keeping Aaron Rodgers off the field. But, um, you know, with his... uh, two questionable uh, weapons on offense, you know, Christian Watson and Aaron Jones, it it may be completely up to Aaron Rodgers to have the ball. And if the Vikings can keep them, you know, without the ball, I feel like it'll be a pretty simple game for the Vikings. But the Packers are red hot. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, when he's backed into a corner, you know, we we suck his dick sometimes on this podcast. But I, I don't know. You know, with Aaron Rodgers, his back is against the wall. He seems to always perform. So we'll just have to see. I'm super excited about this game. 
Yeah, and when it comes down to the line, uh, I think the Vikings will at least cover the three and a half uh, and possibly win outright. Okay, cool. You heard it first. Bet Vikings. <laughs> and then let's get into Dolphins-Patriots. This one's a big game when it comes down to the playoffs, um, especially for the Patriots. Like We've done a full 180 with this team this year. We went from riding off Mac Jones completely and saying that Bailey Zappi should start. Now we're exploring playoff possibilities with this team. So for all we know, they couldn't just they could just not sneak in, but possibly come into the playoffs and maybe upset someone early. Yeah, and with with the Patriots, it's very strange because um, they are one and four in their last five, and actually so are the Dolphins. But the Patriots definitely, they're making improvements through the losses, though, which is very important for this team right now. And so is Mac Jones. I want to say you and I uh, talked about it on Tuesday or Thursday. um, But Mac Jones, uh, his last game, he didn't throw an interception, but he had two touchdowns. I want to say it was against the Bengals, which is very good for him. And hopefully he can build off that against a really cold Dolphins team. Yeah. And I think for the Dolphins, it's just about trusting your guys. Uh, Tua's out this game. He's got another concussion. And, and Teddy B isn't a horrible quarterback. He can win you games, but you're coming off a loss. You lost your quarterback again. It, it just means that the coaching staff needs to light a fire under this team's ass. Give these guys the confidence they need to go out and win a tough game on the road. We know about the Dolphins' road struggles. We've talked about it the last couple weeks. They went on that three three-game lo- losing streak on the road, and now it's time to prove everybody wrong. Yeah, and I think the Dolphins, you want to start by do, uh, by making it easier for Teddy Bridgewater. I think that's got to be the name of the game. You got Tyreek Hill, you got Jalen Waddle, but fucking use Mike Gesicki. We haven't seen him all year. I know he's got the talent, but he just isn't putting up the stats, and I don't think it's him. I think it's the game plan. And I, I want to, you know, for Teddy Bridgewater, I would like to see all three get involved. And on top of all three of those targets getting involved, I would like to see a good uh, a good ground game for them. I think those are going to be the two keys for a Dolphins win. Yeah, 100%. But you know what? Give me the pats. I, I, I trust Belichick too much to say that they'll lose to Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, Um. And that defense, man, the Patriots may be seven and eight, but their defense has been impressive all year. And Bill Belichick, he'll, he'll know what to do. He'll he'll chew up, up Teddy Bridgewater and spit him out um, if he can. And uh, I, I think he probably will. The Patriots just seem better than the Dolphins in the past couple weeks, um, especially with two being as well. But I don't know. Yeah, for sure. But uh, let's get into Saints-Eagles. Uh, Eagles, five-and-a-half-point favorites in this one. And this game's huge for the Saints. They are hungry. Yeah, this is a very hungry Saints team that, you know, they want to run the table. And of course, the years are somehow they keep the lucky kind of preventing the Saints from running the table, running the table right now. But the Saints are way better than the Buccaneers. And A.J. Brown, Miles Sanders, and Jalen Hurts are all for this game yeah it, that's going to be the difference maker and for the saints like yeah you like you said they still have a chance to make the playoffs i don't think they'll make it out of the first round but for now you know making the playoffs is a step and they have to capitalize on this eagles team because the eagles are either going to have jalen hurts who doesn't want to get tackled because his injury came from being driven into the ground 
or Gardner Minshew. And if the Saints can have success in the running game, uh, I think they've got a chance. Uh, yeah, but to put a little thorn in what you just said there, unfortunately for the Saints, Alvin Kamara is questionable, and so is Chris Olave. And both of those guys have been two two of the biggest weapons on their offense. I, I would say two of the best. Even though AK hasn't been that great, you know, he's still a huge weapon for them. But here's the deal. The Eagles may have lost against the Cowboys on Christmas uh, on Christmas Eve, but that was a really good game for the Eagles because, you know, you just proved that you can, you know, come close with really awesome teams and put up a whole shit ton of points without Jalen Hurts. And, you know, whether Jalen Hurts plays or not, I think that's the difference maker against the Saints, and I, I think the Eagles will still win. Yeah, like you said it yourself, Gardner looked really good last week. And if they can put up those same 34 points they did last week, they'll win. The Saints have uh, have only put up over 27 points two times this season. One was a loss to the Cardinals, the other a win against the Seahawks. And I personally think that having a healthy Gardner Minshew is more valuable than a banged-up Jalen Hurts. Like I said, Jalen's injury came from being tackled and driven into the ground. So that's going to happen to every quarterback, but especially Jalen Hurts. So I think... If they run a pass-heavy game plan with Gardner, they'll be more successful than running kind of a reserved protective setup for Jalen. Yeah, and and I think it'll simply come down to the fact that the Eagles are just way, way too talented in the, in their own right to, to lose to this Saints team, no matter how hungry the Saints are. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I know you said Miles Sanders is questionable. Uh, if he plays, he'll be the difference maker in this one, and I'm going to take the Eagles. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I'm taking the Eagles too. Um, you know, I I like buying into the Saints hype, but their <laughs> scheduling, Grayson, for them just really sucks here. I mean, they're they're playing a a really good Philly team that you know, as we've mentioned plenty of times throughout the last five minutes, is that they can win without Jalen Hurts, and that's the biggest factor for me. I'm taking the Eagles. All right. Let's see what you've got to say about Steelers-Ravens. Ravens favored two and a half. What you got? Well, the best fucking thing is it got upgraded to Sunday Night Football, so I am super excited about that. Um, the Steelers are still alive. We don't know if Lamar is going to play. Um, so the Steelers are 4-1 and one in the last five, you know, getting hot a little bit too late in the season, but hey, they're still alive. But here's the thing with Baltimore. They have proven – um, with Lamar being hurt uh, this season and in seasons previously, that they can compete without him. And I think that's going to be a difference maker for them is if they can compete without Lamar, which I, I think they will. They competed the last time they played the Steelers without Lamar. Um, only one by two points, but wins are wins. Yeah, and, and look, we're probably getting closer to seeing Lamar come back. But, you know, right now, don't push it. You can let Lamar sit these next two games as long as you can, or sorry, you can let Lamar sit in week 18 as long as you can pick up a win here. And I know they haven't looked great with Huntley at quarterback, but this week, if they're on top of their shit, they'll win. Yeah, um, but but here's something interesting that I wanted to throw out here uh, for you to respond to, Grayson. Um, this is Lamar's career stats against the Steelers. And this is, I, I'm still assuming that he will play against Pittsburgh. I, I think he will. But, but here's some stats that I wanted to throw out to you and all the viewers out here. 
Lamar has only started three games against Pittsburgh, which is kind of weird. You know, they play in the same division. They should be playing each other twice a year. But, you know, it's worked out where kind of Lamar's been hurt and, you know, other circumstances. But in Lamar's three games against Pittsburgh, four touchdowns, six interceptions, sacked 16 times, and has a QBR of 67.4. Grayson, what do you think? Yeah, it sounds like the Steelers have Lamar's number. But I I don't think Lamar's playing. Um, he still hasn't practiced. Uh, he missed the walkthroughs on Wednesday. And I think that this offense is very different when you have Huntley at quarterback because they don't want to give Huntley opportunities um, because those opportunities often bite them in the ass. So they're going to keep running the ball. And I think that if they can do that well, they've still got a chance. Because, look, the Steelers looked good enough against the Raiders last week that I think they'll give the Ravens a tough game. But it's going to take a lot of things going their way for the Steelers to get the win. Yeah, um, and one thing that we haven't mentioned up, but the uh, mentioned yet, but the Ravens' defense has really stepped it up without Lamar. Against Denver, uh, which I'm pretty sure is the game Lamar got hurt, the Ravens only let up nine points. Next week was the Steelers. They gave up 14. Next week was the Browns. They gave up 13. And then they gave up nine against Atlanta, and that's all in their last four. So the Ravens' defense has done super well without Lamar, and I feel like a lot of it has to do with Roquan Smith. He's been absolutely on fire the past couple weeks. Oh, yeah. Their, their defense has been scary. And, you know, this is where defense matters, 100%. It's the end of the season. A lot of times your defensive players are kind of tired at the end of the year. But if they can get this kind of second wind as they go towards the playoff run, it's going to be important. But for Pittsburgh, they've got to use Najee when they get in the red zone instead of relying on the run game to get them there. And then Kenny or and then um, sorry, I totally said that wrong. <laughs> they need to use Najee um, to get to the red zone instead of relying on him in the red zone. Kenny needs to be in control when they have scoring opportunities because they have weapons in the receiving core that can make a difference. You've got Deontay Johnson. You've got Pickens. You've got Pat Fryermuth. So use them. Look, Kenny only has five passing touchdowns this year, and it's because they only really pass to move up the field, and then they always run it in the red zone. Najee has 100 rushing yards inside of 20 yards. And so even though Kenny hasn't done well completion percentage-wise in the red zone, I think you just need to let him do his thing when you get there. I, I agree with that. And and the thing with the Steelers is I, I, I feel like all of our receivers and all of the weapons that Kenny Pickett has are kind of red zone oriented guys. Deontay, Deontay Johnson is a short route guy who can get open, which is good for the red zone. George Pickens is a contested catch highlight reel, which is good for the red zone. And Pratt Firemuth is he's a gigantic playmaker, which is also good for the red zone. Yet we're constantly running the ball in the red zone and kicking field goals, which has been you know, a lot of the reason why Kenny's stats are kind of iffy and why the Steelers are 7-8. and eight. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to take the Ravens in this one. I, I'm taking the Steelers. I, we're way hotter than Baltimore, um, way more hungrier. And I, I think with, with the game being primetime, I, I think we'll, we'll pull off the upset this time. All right. Let's talk about Bills-Bengals. This is definitely the matchup of the week. Um, the Bills have already clinched the division. Uh, they're one-point favorites in this one. And 
Now they're just fighting for the first seat. There, there's a lot of moving around that could happen at the top in the AFC. Because if the Bills lose and the Chiefs win, which the Chiefs are playing the Broncos, so it looks pretty good, the Chiefs will move into first. The Bills will drop to third because they will have just lost to Cincinnati, uh, losing that head-to-head. So this is a big one for the Bills, uh, and they really need to pull out a win if they want to keep that one spot. Yeah, uh, and I, I just wanted to comment on the fact that both of these teams are uh, 5-0 and in their last five coming into this game. They've both been uh, absolutely lighting other teams up. Um, Grayson, is this an AFC Championship preview? It, it very well could be. And I, I think the thing standing in front of that is how the seeding ends up. Because, look, right now, the Bills will get the first round by. and it's 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 an interesting way to look at it but i think that the way it matches up one of these teams is going to end up with um they'll probably end up playing each other in the uh the semifinal because if the chiefs get the one seed the chiefs will probably be getting to the championship and it'll be Bengals Bills, kind of the opposite of what we saw last year, where everybody was like, "Oh, the Bills and the Chiefs have to match up in the AFC Championship." Well, the Bengals ended up getting in after the Bills Chiefs had to fight each other, and so one of them is going to take one of the other out, and I think it'll end up being Chiefs Bengals. Okay, I, I, I definitely can. I, I see where you're coming from there. I see where you're coming th- from there. Uh, one thing that I wanted to highlight about this game and really kind of the whole Bengals season is although they're red hot right now, Joe Mixon is under 800 yards um, on the season and uh, on the ground, which is, you know, kind of strange considering that he came off of, you know, a Super Bowl run uh, last season and he was, you know, one of the best running backs in the league, but now he's just kind of not really getting involved as much. Um and I think that's going to be the key for the uh, the Bengals' win is getting Joe Mixon involved through the air as well as the ground game. Yeah, I, I think that you know as much as Joe Mixon hasn't really been contributing, the Bengals are still doing what it takes to win football games. They're they've won seven straight, a couple of those against some great opponents, including the Chiefs. So you can keep letting Burrow take over, but you got to get Mixon and P Ryan at least over twenty five carries. Yeah, and and I agree with you. You know, Burrow definitely has the skill set to take over games and become the, you know, kind of a one-dimensional offense, I guess, if you want to put it that way. But here's the thing. And Joe Burrow's uh, – Joe Burrow has thrown a pick in his last three games, and he had two last week. I want to say uh, he threw the ball 52 times. Listen, I you know, I don't think you want to win games like that for, you know, longevity purposes. So I think that's why, you know, Mixon is my key to this game is uh, – you know, alleviate it, become a two-dimensional offense. And if you're still winning games with Burrow throwing the ball 52 times in multiple weeks, if you can get Mixon going and Burrow, you know, has a similar performance, just kind of less passing attempts, I feel like Cincinnati could might could run away against the Bills. Yeah, I, I really do. But for the Bills, uh, they got to continue to let the running backs eat. Last week, they played great in the run game. James Cook and Zach Moss played super well. Or not Zach Moss, sorry, uh, Devin Singletary. And it allowed Josh Allen to have kind of an off day and still get the win. And so if they can continue to use the running game, it'll help preserve Josh for the playoffs when his takeover ability and leadership is needed. 
Exactly. And, you know, Josh Allen, like you said, he did have an off week last week. I think it was two touchdowns, but also two picks. I, I think for the Bills, you know, if you have a similar game, um, if you have a similar run game as last week where I want to say both of their backs were almost over uh, 100 yards. I think uh, James Cook may have had 99 or Singletary had 99. It was something like that. But if you can have a game like that again, and Josh Allen doesn't turn the ball over and get Stephon Diggs involved. I want to say he was two receptions, 26 yards last week. I can see the Bills running away with it against the Bengals. I mean, I, I could definitely see how both of these teams could run away with it for each other uh, against the other person or the other opponent. But um, I, I don't know. I can definitely see a high-scoring affair if both the teams just do what we told them to do because, you know, we're the smartest people. Yeah, I think that we'll probably see both of these teams in the 30s uh, come final score. I, I would bet on that. But as far as who I think will win this game, I honestly think out of the games that we're covering this week, I I think it'll be the Bengals, but only off of the fact that they are playing at home. They are so evenly matched that I think the home game gives them just that little edge over the Bills. I'm 100% in the same boat. I, I think the Bengals will take it. And um, mainly because, you know, I've been riding with the Bengals all season. And they've looked so good these last seven weeks. And, and I also just love to see a little bit of mayhem here at the end. So with the way that that'll shuffle around the playoff seeds, I, I really want a Bengals win. And, and I, I think it'll happen. And, and it's not it's not because the Bills are worse and or the Bengals are better. I, I think it is little, literally because of they are so evenly matched that just the fact that the, it's in Cincinnati will push the Bengals to a victory. All right. Well, let's hop into a little bit of NFL news. Um, we'll start it off. Derek Carr gets benched and is now deciding to step away from the team to avoid being a distraction. That's, you know, I I'd actually didn't hear about the second part you just said of him uh, stepping away from the team. Uh, I, I think that's pretty mature for him. Uh, I want to say the Raiders are actually not eliminated from the playoffs yet. Of course, they probably will be. But, you know, right now the team needs no distractions. They're, they're six and nine. They still have a slim chance of making it to the playoffs. And, you know, they're, I, I'm sure a lot of players have certain feelings about this Derek Carr seems pretty well liked in the locker room um, and and he's benched and it, it is totally you know shaking it up I'm sure the players are talking about it and uh I I don't know uh, I I think the biggest the biggest loser of Derek Carr being benched and I, I told you this at work yesterday Grayson is Devontae Adams um he has been he looks like an idiot now he, he really does and I want to get your thoughts on it yeah like look Devontae Adams uh, I've wholeheartedly believe that the only reason he went to Oakland is so that he could play with Derek Carr and now uh, I'm, I'm not saying that Devontae should regret this move whatsoever but your guy just got benched and now it's looking like he's probably going to end up getting traded it's kind of what people are looking at because you bench your guy he's been starting since like 2014 in Oakland or Oakland and Las Vegas, and you got a new head coach, and he's already lost trust in you. Yeah, it's it's not a good sign. And and here's the thing with Oakland is, I I can't really remember a time where a team has rode with a quarterback for this long and 
not really have much to show for it. Derek Carr, don't get me wrong, he he is a pretty decent quarterback, but in in his entire time with Oakland, he literally has nothing to show for it. And this year, you give him Devontae Adams, and in my opinion, you get a Josh Jacobs who's looked the best he's ever looked in his entire career this season, and you have Darren Waller. And the, like I said, the Raiders still, once again, with Derek Carr at the helm, have nothing to show for it. Yeah, no, they suck. And there's no if ands, or buts. Like, Derek Carr has been average his whole career. He's had a couple of years where he looked good, but nobody else on the team did. And now he's got weapons, and they're not using them. So it, this move makes sense. Like, you probably should start pushing Derek Carr out and bring something new. Do I think that Jarrett Stidham, who's going to start this week, is the future? Of course not. Jarrett Stidham absolutely sucks. But you got to try something because, obviously, Derek Carr's not working for you. Yeah, and, and we've talked about this with a couple different teams um, on this podcast before, but sometimes all it takes is a breath of fresh air. No matter how bad Jared, Jared Stidham is, no matter uh, how bad C.J. Strebler is, no matter how bad Brock Purdy is, Sometimes a breath, a breath of fresh air is uh, is all teams need to get that fire lit. And of course, with the Raiders, it's a little bit too late. But you know they're looking towards the future, which I think is a smart move by them. Yeah, and you know a team that is just now starting uh, a little bit of a slip with quarterback play, uh, the Broncos. Uh, it's an early start to that slip, but Russell Wilson uh, came out and said that he wished he played better for Nathaniel Hackett. And I think this is just the biggest load of fucking bullshit. Russell Wilson is such a bitch. Because look, you can... Oh, I wish I played better for him. Well, guess what? You didn't. And now he got he just lost his job in the first year that he had it. And I'm, I'm putting a lot of the blame on Russell Wilson. Look, Nathaniel Hackett obviously is not a great coach. But when your players play like shit... What are you supposed to do about it? Exactly. And with Nathaniel Hackett, you know, coming into this Broncos team, as we've said, you know, a couple times on this podcast is it's not like they didn't have the weapons. And I, and I feel like Nathaniel Hackett, you know, he was putting trust in a lot of his players because let's be honest, you know, this is the first team he's ever been a head coach of. He doesn't really have like any, any other head coach experience, but he's given a lot of talent. And so, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense for him to kind of put a little bit more trust in his players the first couple seasons, especially when you're as talented as the Broncos are, at least on paper. And th- they kind of failed him. And Russell Wilson is the biggest failure of them all, like you said. Yeah. I think that Russell Wilson is becoming like this. I'm not trying to say he's a villain. Because, you know, villains play the villain role. He doesn't play the villain role. He's like a superhero that nobody wants to be there. Like he's just ruining everything. And it, it's it's so interesting. He's like he's like Hawkeye. He does nothing. Yeah, he's um and at that he's a very expensive superhero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's tough. But uh let's get into we got two more things. Uh Tua has another concussion, which it just sucks. And I hate to see this because, look, there's a ton of injuries that are much worse than a concussion when it comes to your career. But two in a season, it does not look good. And, like, 
brain injuries have such bad effects on not just, you know, the current, but the future. And, you know, for a young guy like Tua, this absolutely sucks to keep seeing him go through this. Yeah, and and you know the concussions, I mean, they they have to be weighing on his, you know, mentality now just a little bit because, I mean, they're scary. CTE has become such a huge part of the NFL. It's it's in the rules. It's in the news. Um, it, I mean, it's it's everywhere. And you know, Tua doesn't want to be you know a like a vegetable whenever he's older. You know, he he wants, I'm sure, longevity to his life. But at the same time, he's a super competitive football player on a really really exciting Dolphins team loaded with weapons. And it's just all around unfortunate for the team and Tua. Yeah, it sucks. And like you can tell, you know, Mike McDaniel doesn't want to go into a press conference and talk about it. He didn't want to talk about it the first time it happened. Like it's tough. And and Tua genuinely is like a a guy that people were excited to watch in the NFL. You know, as much as people wanted to doubt him, he had undeniable talent coming out of Alabama. And I I just, yeah, it, it kills me to see this happening to him. Yeah. And I, Tua did have a pretty a pretty not good <laughs> season last season, but I mean, there there's not an NFL fan that wasn't excited to see him play this season. I mean, he got Tyreek Hill. We we knew Jalen Waddle was only going to develop and get better, and that goes for Tua as well. Um, and it's just yeah, it's just sucky to see. Um, and, and I I think he seriously needs to consider parts of his future if he keeps going down this route. Yeah, and then our last thing for news, um, Josh Dobbs is starting for the Titans, which we brought up at the top of the show. And um, I I think this is just, you know, the end of Malik Willis, honestly. And I also think that maybe it's the end of Tannehill. I know Tannehill's hurt, but, you know, nothing's really happened. Yeah, they've they've won a a good amount of games, but they, they just don't seem to get it done, especially this year. Tannehill just hasn't done anything that makes me think that the Titans should keep him. Yeah, and Tannehill's always been average, and I I always never understood why the Titans just kind of settled with him. I mean, the past three or four four years, the Titans, I mean, like a like a Super Bowl contending team. Derrick Henry was you know playing lights out, but they had an average quarterback who was pretty much only there to hand the ball off. And and it's showing this season. I mean, I think in the mock draft that we uh, talked about on uh, Tuesday, we had uh, the Titans, I, I, I want to say, were taking a wide receiver, which they should. And and it really shows. I think the whole reason that this team is seven is they haven't cared about a pass game for like five years. And now it seems like maybe with benching Tannehill and honestly even drafting Malik Willis, who looks like a bust, but still they drafted a quarterback. It seems like they are starting to realize that they need a pass game to get them over that hump. But um, yeah, for this season uh, or for this game coming up against the Cowboys, they're starting Dobbs. And I don't know. I feel like the Titans are going to kind of have to go through a pass game rebuild before we can consider them a playoff team again. Yeah. Yeah. The Titans are definitely throwing in the towel by starting Josh Dobbs. But um, let's get into um, a little bit of the playoff picture. Um, we've talked about it a little bit going um, throughout these games. But uh, let's start with the NFC because there's a lot more to talk about with the AFC. So in the NFC, we've got four teams that have clinched. Um, the Eagles are at the one spot. They've clinched a playoff berth. Vikings have clinched their division at 12-3. and three. 
49ers have clinched their division at 11 and 4, and then the Cowboys. The Cowboys have clinched a playoff berth at 11 and 4, and they're looking at the 5 seed. Um how do you think this is going to shake up? Because if we don't see Jalen Hurts for the rest of the season, and maybe the Eagles do slip up, the Vikings and 49ers realistically have a shot. And I, I think I'm kind of betting on it. Um, I, I think the Eagles will still be a threat in the playoffs, no matter if, if they don't have the first round by, but I, I think the Vikings are going to end up stealing it from them. Okay. Yeah, I like that. And, and that would require a Vikings win this week. Uh, against the Packers, and then um, I believe they've got um, who is it? Week eighteen is it the sure. Bears? Yeah, they've got yeah. the Bears week eighteen, which could be tough. I, I think the Vikings would still pull it out. So we're looking at a Vikings team that'll probably finish at fourteen and three, and an Eagles team that has the opportunity to finish at thir- or uh, fifteen and two, but maybe. A little more realistically, could finish at fourteen and three because I, I don't know um, where we're at with Jalen Hurts. Yeah, and and the third team, the 49ers, I I think there's no doubt they'll win out. They'll they'll have to really fuck up to lose against the Raiders or uh, and the Cardinals, which I know they're two rivalry games, and the rivalry games are always tough in the NFL. But the 49ers defense and they just look too good to be stopped right now. And Brock Purdy, like we've talked about, has is doing just enough to win games. Yeah, 100%. And uh, I'm not too sure completely how the tiebreaker would work if the 49ers went out and the Eagles lose the next two um, because they didn't play head-to-head this season. Uh, I'm not – do you know anything about how that tiebreaker would work? I want to say it comes down to conference wins. Okay. So um, the 49ers are undefeated in their conference. And uh, the Eagles have a conference loss. So it would be go to the 49ers. So, yeah, we'll have to see. There, There's some, some moves that can happen. And the Cowboys technically could win the division as well. Um and move up and push the Eagles into five. So there's a lot that can happen. I, I don't think the Cowboys will end up winning the division. I think the Eagles will still take it. But um, let's get into some of the teams that are in the hunt. Uh, right now, the Buccaneers have the NFC South only only barely. And there's a lot that can happen in the NFC South. Yeah, and, and we've talked about it before, of course. Um Every team is under 500, so it's not getting a lot of media attention. But, hey, I, I still like the divisions and everything, so it, it's interesting to me. And I know it's interesting to you as the Falcons fan. But, yeah, this this Buccaneers-Panthers game is going to be really good. And, oh, man, if, if Tom Brady loses this one, that looks really bad because that that's one thing that we've always, you know, kind of had with Tom Brady is like Aaron Rodgers, when Tom Brady's backed into backed into a corner, I mean, he's he's 100% every single time. But this season, you know, with how he's played, I mean, we, we've seen a different Tom Brady, so maybe the Panthers take it. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see. And I think, you know, the Panthers have a, a game plan that can work. They showed it last week. They ran the ball a shitload. And didn't really let Sam Darnold have to do much. And they beat the Giants. So um, it's going to be interesting. And then speaking of the Giants, they're in right now as the sixth seed at 8-6-1. And 
I don't really see any of these teams catching up. The Seahawks will probably end up losing to the... Um, I think the Jets will beat the uh, the Seahawks this week. Um, you know, it could kind of go either way. But with the Seahawks loss, they'll most likely not make it in uh, only because of Washington's tie. And then the Lions will probably beat the Bears this week, which would put them over both Washington and Seattle if Washington can't get the win against the Browns. So I, I don't see Seattle jumping in, but uh, I think the Giants will probably hold a spot and then it comes down to Washington, and that tie is valuable for Washington. If Washington wins this week and the Lions win this week, Washington's still in, and then it comes down to Week 18. So I, I'm really looking forward to how the Lions will shake it up. The Lions have two divisional rivals uh, as their last two games. They play the Bears, which who knows could be a trap game. As I've said numerous times on this podcast, the Bears are 3-12, and but they have kept it close with a lot of good teams. But after that, Grayson, I, I, I know we're both excited for this game, especially, uh, you know, depending on how the teams do this week. But the Lions and Packers play each other last game of the season, and what a game that'll be. Yeah, especially if the Packers come out with a victory against Minnesota, this game's going to be huge because, yeah, like you said, if the Lions come out with the win against the Bears, they'll move to 8-8. Eight and eight. A Packers win against the Vikings will put them at 8-8, eight and eight, and it all comes down to Week 18. So, um. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how the NFC North, at least the second and third spot, uh, pan out. Yeah, me too. Um, and and it'll be it'll it'll be another big game. Uh, on top of the fact that it's it, it, we could see a changing of the guard. You know, the Packers haven't been that good this year, and I, I feel like if Week 18, if it comes down to that game, you know, winners in the playoffs, uh, losers out. If Aaron Rodgers loses, I I think that's. That kind of that's the knife in the the knife in the chest there. Oh yeah, I, I agree. I think that you know if the Packers miss the playoffs, like it'll be one of the worst seasons they've had with Aaron Rodgers. And even if it's super close, the expectation is that Aaron Rodgers is going to make the playoffs every year. So when he falls under expectation. Yes, he has the extension, um, so they'll probably let him ride the next year unless he wants to leave. But I, I got a feeling that you know this is the beginning of the end for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. I I, I do too, um, and and that's the thing is like you know if the Packers and Lions play each other, well they will play each other Week 18. But if it's in the situation where you know um, winner is in the playoffs, loser is out. I mean, if the Lions win, that's it's a changing of the guard, but it's a changing of the guard from years and years of dominating this division. It's a much bigger game than what people are thinking it'll be. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, the last two teams that are still eligible to make the playoffs, which both of them still have a chance, are the Panthers and Saints at 6-9. and nine. Um, A Panthers win this week would be absolutely huge, um, would most likely put it at um the saints would probably get eliminated if they lose to the eagles and the panthers and buccaneers win i'm not too sure how all the tiebreakers are looking in the nfc south but <laughs> um regardless it's going to be interesting um depending on this week i, I think that the panthers are probably going to come out with it 
Uh, I don't like how the Bucks look right now, uh, even though they're winning. Um, they just don't look like a team that I think will win. And yeah, the Bucks play the Falcons week 18, but we've seen it time and time again where the team that's already been eliminated, look, they got nothing to lose. They'll go out there and they'll fuck some shit up. So <laughs> I, I think the Falcons could do just that in week 18. Dude, I think the NFC South, man, it, it's just such a funny division because I, I think throughout, you know, my time on this podcast, uh, when you and I have debated on the NFC South and the playoff picture, I, I think we've changed the teams that, you know, we thought we're going to make it like three or four times. <laughs> and, and that's just kind of funny to think about. But if the Panthers win against the Buccaneers and the Saints beat the Eagles, Grayson, you have a three-way tie for first place going into week 18. And the Saints will play the Panthers week 18. The Buccaneers will play the Falcons. And like you said, the Falcons, you know, they're playing for nothing. But who knows? Some of those teams can fuck shit up. And it, it'll be so interesting come week 18 what happens with this division. Yeah, for sure. But uh, let's look at the AFC because there's a lot to talk about here. Um, so they've already got five spots taken up. So the Bills uh, are in at one at the moment at 12 and three. They've clinched their division. Chiefs. At two, 12 and three, they've clinched their division. The Bengals at three, at 11 and four, they haven't quite clinched the division, but uh, I believe a win this week would. And then um, we see the Ravens at five, uh, at 10 and five, second in their division. And then the Chargers have already clinched a spot, um, and they're at six at the moment, um, at nine and six. So. We've already talked about kind of the stipulations of the top three moving around. Uh, I don't see Baltimore passing the Bengals. Uh, I think Baltimore will probably end up sticking with the five seed. Uh, I also think the Chargers will end up sticking with the six seed. And then it all comes down to who wins the AFC South between the Titans and Jags, which at the moment the Jags have the upper hand. Um, and then the Dolphins, uh, and it's really up to the AFC East uh, to take that seventh spot. Yeah, and the AFC East, I want to say if it plays out, um, if the if the cards fall correctly, as they say, you could have a um, three-way tie between the Patriots, Jets, and Dolphins at 8-8, eight and eight, depending on how their Week 17 matchups go. Another interesting division where, I, I don't know, it, the Jets have been cold, the Patriots have been kind of cold, but they don't look that bad, even though they're losing. And the Dolphins just kind of look awful. I I honestly have no idea or any predictions who will come out on top of the AFC East. Well, I do have a prediction, but I'll have to get into it later if that gives you a little hint on something. But uh -oh. um, yeah, I think that the Dolphins have a tough road because the two teams behind them right now in the playoff spots are their two remaining teams on their schedule. Yeah, and really important games for Miami. And, you know, just with how cold Miami's been and with, you know, Tua having trouble, I, I could honestly see Miami losing to the Patriots in Week 17 this week and then losing to the Jets next week. I, I could, I'm totally buying into the fact that they their season's kind of over. Yeah, and then um, our last couple of contenders, the Titans are um, at the moment 7-8, and eight second place in their division um based on tiebreakers behind the jags they 
are starting Josh Dobbs this week against the Cowboys. So uh, I feel like the Titans have almost given up at this point and the Jags are hot and they're playing the Texans. Yeah, and you know, even though the AFC South is super close, th- this is actually the one division that's close that I I don't think it's as close as people think. The Jaguars are playing way better than seven and eight right now, as their record suggests, and I, I think the Jaguars will probably win out. And Week eighteen, they'll probably beat the Titans. Yeah, I, I agree. And then we've got Steelers at eleven and Raiders at twelve. Uh, the Raiders have no shot, and the Steelers they have a chance. It's not good. Yeah. Um, the Steelers, their last two games are Baltimore and Cleveland. Uh, the Steelers have already lost to both of these teams earlier this season. And I don't know. They, they are my beloved Steelers, but I, I think I think we're going to miss out this year. Um, it, but it'll be interesting, though. I, I think the, the Week 18 against Cleveland will be a super interesting game. Yeah. And, and what makes it really tough for the for any of the teams remaining is – if you don't win out, you're not making it in. So you have to get to um, nine wins. Nine and eight is going to be the magic number for seven. And I think that there's potential for two, maybe three teams to be in that position, and it all comes down to tiebreakers. Yeah, uh, the AFC is uh, really interesting this year. A lot of teams have gotten hot at the end and gotten cold at the end and and it's just making it you know all all the teams that are in the hunt it's just making it so interesting yeah there will be a lot of uh watching the out-of-town scoreboards um in these next two weeks for sure all right well anything else you want to add to the playoff picture um let's see let's see let me just kind of glance over it real fast um yeah, actually, I do. Um, I think that the number five spot, or actually, the, really kind of the division uh, leader of the AFC North, I feel like that one will be a little bit more interesting than people think. Look, the Ravens don't have Lamar, but they're still competing with teams. Their defense looks better than it ever has all season long. And the Bengals play the Bills. And Grayson, if the, if the Bills beat the Bengals and the Ravens beat the Steelers, then the AFC North is back to being tied at 11-5. Um, and five. And when Lamar comes back, if the Ravens' defense still looks as good as it does now, they could be a really dangerous team in the playoffs. Oh, yeah, for sure. If, if they do get it, um, which, yeah, like you said, there's 100% a chance for it. The problem is, is the Ravens and Bengals face off in Week 18. And I, I just I think that the Bengals are going to take it. Yeah, I, I mean, it'll be an interesting game. I, I really don't have a prediction for uh, week 18, but I, I'm kind of pulling. Well, of course, I, I don't want the Steelers to lose. But if they do lose, I mean, that, you know, 11 and five uh, matchup, if the Bengals also lose in week 18 between the, uh, the Ravens, that could be a pretty interesting game for the AFC playoff picture. Yeah, for sure. And so that'll do it for the playoff picture uh, going into these last two weeks. Uh, we got a little bit of MLB news to go over um, just real quick. So the Marlins signed Jan Segura to a two-year 17-mil deal. Um, I don't think this really does much, but I, I do think that losing Jan Segura is a big loss for the Phillies. I know that he doesn't have as big of a role as he has in past years, and now that they've got Trey Turner, they don't really need him. 
But this is a great signing for the Marlins. Two years, $17 million, That's rather economical. And look, the Marlins are building something. It's just that they play in the hardest division in baseball. Yeah. Um, I, I actually really like this signing for the Marlins. Uh, their shortstop Rojas last season didn't really look that great. I want to say he was batting maybe like 320. Gene Segura finished last season batting 370. And uh, he'll also join Jazz Chisholm as a middle infielder. And I, I feel like it's a great pickup for the Marlins. And like you said, it is very economical. Yeah, I, I got a feeling that Segura and Miguel Rojas will kind of platoon shortstop. Jazz kind of has that second base spot taken up. So, yeah, I think when it comes to Jan Segura and Miguel Rojas, Jan Segura, I think, is the better player. But Miguel Rojas is 100% the leader of this Marlins team, and I think that means a lot more to them. So don't be surprised if Segura plays under 70 games this year. Yeah, and and that could definitely be, um, you know, what happens there. But Segura definitely will offer them a better, um, a better bat at shortstop for sure. Yeah, and then the Red Sox signed Corey Kluber to a one-year deal. Uh, this does literally nothing for the Red Sox. Uh, I saw something earlier on Twitter um, that this Red Sox rotation would have been awesome in 2016 because they have Chris Sale, Corey Kluber, and James Paxton. Like, the 2016, Corey Kluber was the Cy Young winner. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure he went to the World Series. James Paxton was a murderer over in Seattle. And um, Chris Sale was, like, on top of the game. Uh, with the White Sox. So, yeah, this would have been a great rotation if all of these guys weren't washed at this point. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, losing Evaldi and Evaldi being signed this year. But I, I don't know. I, Kluber, I feel like, still has something to offer. He actually had the second-best strikeout-to-walk ratio in the AL last year. I, I, I agree with you. It is kind of a meaningless signing for Boston, but I, I think it's a little bit better than what you're making it seem. It is. Uh, I, I get that. Yeah, Kluber is a good pitcher. He's worth something. I, I just don't think this moves the needle whatsoever for Boston. No, it, it definitely doesn't make them more effective, but I, I feel like they're kind of, with their pitching, they're just going to be at where they're at last year. Yeah, and then my favorite news of the week is that the Braves just keep on doing it. Alex Anthopoulos is a contract genius. Sean Murphy signs a six-year extension, $73 million. Like, the way, like, we have our entire starting roster locked up, and it looks so good for us. We've got Freed and, I believe, Minter locked up until 24, and then we've got we've got Strider locked up long-term, we've got Grissom, we've got Olsen, Riley, Acuna, Albies, like, uh, Kyle Wright, like, everybody is locked up at least for the next two, three, four years. And it looks great for the Braves. That was actually one of the notes that I had is it's really impressive um, what the Braves have done. But literally all of their stars are, you know, still have multiple years or have been signed to multiple years on a contract deal. And that's that's really important because I feel like the Braves, you know, they're a little bit disappointing in the playoffs last year. But regardless of that, they still have a great group and it's a great group that'll be, you know, around with each other for, like you said, three to four years. And it this signing just really helped them out. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I think that, you know, building up this core that we've got is huge. And 
I, I think it's just going to keep getting better. Like uh, I'm seeing projections now from fan graphs that we have the highest projected wins and people wow. are saying that we've got uh, one of the highest run uh, production teams. It, it's going to be interesting to see. And I think, you know, adding Sean Murphy, even before we extended him was an amazing move. And now it just keeps getting better because that is such a cheap contract for a gold glove catcher with a plus bat. Yeah. Um, and now, as you know, you're the Braves fan, and I want to I want to ask you this question. I want to get your opinion. Who's going to be the Braves catcher? So I, I think that Sean Murphy, instead of the like one game, one on one off platooning that we did with Contreras and Darno, I think that Murphy will probably play three games a week and Darno will probably DH a little bit more. And then um, so. Typically, you play five to six games a week, and I think that Murphy will probably get three to four starts, where Darno will probably only get two starts a week at catcher, but he'll get some DH appearances. Yeah, and Darno definitely approved last year that he could he could be a big bat, and Murphy, he really is just more of a consistent and solid catcher, in my opinion. So I, I, I agree with uh, what you just said there. All right. Well, let's get into some stuff that – I've been really looking forward to talking about with this podcast and adding Luke on is soccer. And we talked about plenty of World Cup. Uh, you heard what we had to say there. But the Premier League is is fully back in action this weekend. I know a couple of teams have played throughout the week. So let's just go ahead and get it started. Friday, we've got Liverpool versus Leicester. And I only picked out a couple of the games that I like. Um, you know, some of the games are just bottom of the table matchups. So yeah, Liverpool, Leicester. Um, I- I'd like to know... You know, who do you think is going to really look good in this game? Uh, I, I think it'll be Liverpool. I mean, you know, that's just kind of the the easy answer. But last year, you know, they're a team that has proven throughout their whole time in the Premier League that they can compete with pretty much anybody. And I but I, I don't know. I, I think Liverpool, Liverpool have just looked better recently than Leicester City. Um they're, they Liverpool are coming off of two losses and Leicester are coming off of a win. But I, I think Liverpool will turn it around against Leicester City. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that Liverpool will look pretty good. Uh, I know Virgil hasn't had a great start to the season. But um, obviously you still have tons of talent across the board with that Liverpool team. And um, a, a guy that I'll talk about a little bit later who won't technically be on the squad just yet, he can't join until January 1st, is Cody Gokpo who just adds even more depth to this for, uh, this attacking squad for Liverpool. So, if not this week, uh, I think that Liverpool will continue to do well. But yeah, i got Liverpool probably, I'm going to take them 2-0. I'm going to go 2-1. I think Leicester will score one time. Um, but yeah, kind of going back, I just wanted to comment on something that you just made, is the Gokpo um, transfer and him, you know, him joining Liverpool come January really will help out this Liverpool team, um, as you said. And I think it's simply because Darwin Nunez, in my opinion, he isn't the guy. Um, I don't know. I, I think that Nunez has upside. Uh, I think that they just needed to add depth. Diego uh, Diego Jota hasn't been very consistent, at least health-wise. Uh, Firmino is always a risk for getting hurt. So the only mainstay up top is Salah 
and they they needed a guy. And Cody Gakpo is an outstanding young talent. He showed out in the World Cup. I, I think that he's going to have, if not a, a starting spot, uh, an important role in this squad. Yeah, and and he'll definitely be important, um, you know, for Salah as well because uh, I'm pretty sure Mohamed Salah also uh, is Liverpool's goal and assist leader. So anything to alleviate, you know, off the pr- uh, the pressure of him because I mean Salah really has been the carry for this Liverpool team. Yeah, 100. Uh, percent Let's get into some of these Saturday games. Um, we'll start it off with Wolves versus Man U. Uh, I think this is actually a little bit better of a matchup than people would think. Uh, I know Wolves is down at the bottom of the table, uh, 18 in the relegation zone, but I do think that Wolves has a solid lineup. Do I think they're going to win? No, I don't. But um, Man U, a lot of their players played in the World Cup. Maybe they're a little bit fatigued. You know, It's only been, what, like a week and a half since the World Cup is concluded, and a lot of Man U players were in there. Yeah, and a lot of Man U players played well. And uh, to go back to what you said, I, I literally have the same note. Uh, Wolves have always had a lot of talent. or Well, I shouldn't say always, but I would say for the past three years, Wolves have had a really decent uh, lineup. But, you know, this season it just hadn't really come together. It, it's been pretty disappointing. Um, and I one thing that I want to say about Manchester United is they're fifth place among all of the Cristiano Ronaldo adversity, which, you know, props Manchester United for keeping it, you know, headstrong there. 100%. All right. I'd like to get your score prediction. Um, mm, 3-1 Manchester United. All right. I'm going 2-1 menu. I like it. Oh, right. uh, one. Oh, go ahead. Christian Eriksen, um, after his, you know, crazy 2018 you know like everybody thought he was gonna die uh world cup injury he's the top assister at manchester united i mean what a story that that just makes me so happy to hear yeah i love christian erickson um he's a a great player he's kind of since i started following soccer he kind of came up and has really done super well and done some great things in the prem so uh let yeah let's get into man city versus everton a little bit of a bigger matchup. I know Everton, once again, a team that's really underperforming this season. But how can we not talk about Man City? Oh, my God. That guy, Holland Grayson. 14 matches, 20 goals this season. Uh, he has more goals than Chelsea, who are my favorite team, which is uh, <laughs> love. I love the way it rolls off my tongue. Um, Erling Holland is seriously on pace to probably being one of the greatest, probably the greatest goal scorer of all time. I mean, this guy just lights up scoreboards. Yeah, and he's super young, and that's only going to help him. Like, he's got a lot of time ahead of him, and he's already showing that he's the best striker in the world. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of it has to do, you know, Holland, he plays on what? One of the best teams for his type of play style, I feel like. He's got Pep Guardiola, who's one of the smartest football minds in, like, ever, really. Um, And he also has Kevin De Bruyne feeding him the ball. Holland was really just set up to do well at Manchester City, and, you know, they they really did a great job setting up for him. Yeah, and he's got guys that like to pass the ball. Um, Obviously, Phil Foden. Uh, has been playing a, a bit of wing. You've got Bernardo Silva. You've got uh, Jack Grealish even. 
uh, guys that are really going to help out Holland's game in the future, as well as Riyad Mahrez, who hasn't done much this season. Um, yeah, they've got a lot going. And another thing for Man City is that their backup striker, Julian Alvarez, was a stud in the World Cup. So I could even see maybe they run something where Holland and Julian Alvarez are playing. Uh, I don't know if Man City would look for a two-striker setup. I don't think that's really something that they want to run, but it could be a possibility. I I, I think it's a possibility as well. Um, I, but, but to your point, I, I think that they like their midfielders. They like their passing, so they kind of want that extra midfielder rather than striker there. But... Julian Alvarez also has playmaking capabilities on top of his goal-scoring capabilities. So maybe if you lose one of those midfielders due to the transfer window or injury, who knows, maybe they switch to a two-striker formation where Alvarez isn't really there to be a striker, more so as like a kind of a sister to Holland. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Um, what's your score prediction? Um, Four nothing. Manchester City. Okay, yeah, I was going to go 3-0. Uh, I think Holland's going to get a brace. And uh, let's throw in a goal for Kevin De Bruyne. I like it. I like it. All right, well, let's get into Newcastle versus Leeds. Newcastle has uh, easily been the, the probably the biggest surprise this season in the Prem. Um, they're third in the table right now. They're 9-6, one loss. Like, they look very impressive. Oh, man, the Newcastle being third is no surprise to me because they have that little Paraguayan man. If you're an Atlanta United fan, you saw this shit coming. Miguel Almiron is on pace to becoming one of the best Premier League def- uh, midfielders this season or, you know, probably one of the best players just in general this season. And he has been the key to Newcastle's third place success this year. Yeah, 100%. And they've got solid players across the board. Nick Pope is 100% a, a solid goalie. Um, he's got eight clean sheets in 16 appearances this season. Fabian Schaar has been a great defender throughout this season and in past years. You've got Kyrian Trippier. You've got tons of guys up and down this lineup that are great players. You just talked about Miguel Almiron. You've got Bruno Gumierrez. You've got Joel Anton. And, and just up and down, it, it's a great roster. Yeah, and that's actually one of the notes that I have. And a couple of the players you didn't say were Callum Wilson and Alan St. Maximum, who have also been awesome players for Newcastle this year. And and here's the thing is Newcastle are one of those teams that they have bought young players with potential that all of them have come to fruition uh, there. And But the key is to Newcastle is they've been able to keep them. They haven't lost Miguel Almiron. They haven't lost Alan St. Maximum. You know, none of these players are growing at Newcastle and being shipped off for a lot of money. They're staying at Newcastle and look where it's gotten them. Yeah, man, it's that oil money. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) But then on the other side, Leeds, they've got guys that um, have really showed up this year and some guys that maybe haven't quite showed up in the first half but played solid at the World Cup. You know, they've got two Americans in the midfield, Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson. And I I know they haven't done a ton so far in the Prem. Uh, Brendan Aronson has looked good, but this is actually a solid Leeds roster. And I could see them turning it around here in the second half. 
I, I can too. And I, I think the key is going to be Jack Harrison and Rodrigo. Rodrigo, you know, I've known of him for a long time. He's played at Valencia and La Liga, but now he's in, he's been in the Prim for a couple of years. And he actually has nine goals in 14 games for lead this season, which is, you know, pretty damn good. And Jack Harrison, he's just a midfielder with a lot of potential, and he is their assist leader right now. I, I think those two guys are going to be the key for leads moving forward. Yep, 100%. Uh, I'm going to take – I'm going to say it's going to be a 2-2 draw. Oh, okay. I'm going to go – oh, man. 2-1 leads. Miguel Almiron is the Newcastle goal. Okay, I like it. So let's get to uh, Brighton and Hove Albion versus Arsenal. And, you know, like this isn't a huge game, but Brighton has looked actually pretty good. They're seventh in the table right now. And then, of course, Arsenal, top of the table, it's surprising, but they've got a great roster. Yeah, and, and here's how the kind of the Premier League, I've noticed it works, is when a, when a team gets promoted from uh, the lower tiers – they get a shit ton of that Premier League money. Uh, and you'd be surprised. Those lower tier Premier League teams, the teams that are, you know, 17th, 18th, and 20th, they're absolutely loaded with money. And they become loaded with money once they actually gain that promotion to the Premier League. And Brighton Hove Albion has done really well with that money that they've gotten from, you know, getting themselves promoted. Yeah, they've got a bunch of solid players in this lineup. Um, the defenders look great across the board. Lewis Dunk has looked really good. Adam Webster's looked good. And then uh, you've got Estupignon, a, a bunch of guys in the defense that look really good. And then on top of that, you have some solid midfielders. Alexis McAllister's coming off of a World Cup championship. Like, you, you've got a ton of talent. Adam Lalana, a guy who's probably a little bit past his prime, but still contributing. Yeah, um, but on the Arsenal side, Grayson, wow. First place Arsenal. We were talking about it before we started recording. Is That's just – it. I mean, as much as, you know, I don't like to see Arsenal doing well as, you know, I'm a Chelsea fan and Arsenal's another London team. It, it's, it's about time that they finally, you know, turn things around. And what a great group of guys that they have now. I mean, you have guys like uh, Martin Odegaard, uh, Saka. Th- they just have all this young talent. Gabriel Jesus, who they've just brought on. Granit Xhaka, who's coming off of a great World Cup with Serbia. Um, or no, sorry, Switzerland. And yeah, Arsenal just all around a lot of positives for them this season. Yeah, and they have even more talent that, isn't even getting like starting appearances. Emil Smith Rowe is an outstanding young player for England. Uh, Thomas Partey has been an, an insanely good midfielder. Uh, William Saliba, six clean sheets uh, in defense. He's got two goals on top of that. They've got some guys to look out for, as well as Gabriel Martinelli, who's got 15 appearances and six goals, two assists. Yeah, and, and I think what it is is all, all this young talent that's in Arsenal, they they have Mar- Mikel Arteta to thank. Obviously, Arteta was a former midfielder for Arsenal, um, very beloved, you know, Arsenal player from the fans. And I, I think what, what you're seeing is he, he likes the young players. Arteta, obviously, he just retired from, you know, playing probably a couple of years ago. So he's still young, and Arsenal – kind of similar to Chelsea you know Chelsea brought in Frank Lampard who's their legend at midfield and you started seeing a lot of young Chelsea players like Reese James Mason Mount um, Tammy Abraham 
And, you know, he brought along all this youth talent that wasn't being used. And I feel like that's kind of what Arteta's done with Arsenal and look what it's done for them. Yeah, uh, I'm going to take Arsenal. I think it's going to be like 2-1. I think it'll actually be pretty close. A late goal for Arsenal will get him the win. one nothing Arsenal. Gotcha. All right, and then I threw this one in here just so you could talk about Chelsea. Uh, we got Nottingham Forest versus Chelsea. Oh, man. Uh, Chelsea have been absolutely dog shit this season. Uh, there's really no other way to put it. Um, they're not scoring goals. I, I It's just it's so frustrating, Grayson. It, it's so frustrating being a Chelsea fan because here, here's how Chelsea goes. We're I want to say we're eighth right now on the Premier League yes. table. Um and which is obviously not good, but but here's how Chelsea works. We'll probably win the damn Premier League next season. <laughs> and then the signings that we brought in uh, over the summer to win us that Premier League will shit out and we'll finish like sixth or seventh again. It's how it always goes. But right now, you know, the January transfer window is coming up. I will be very disappointed if Chelsea do not absolutely splurge on a striker. Yeah, it's what y'all are missing is goal scoring. Look, you added Aubameyang in the offseason. You added Raheem Sterling. But it doesn't seem to be paying off. The the two of them combined have four goals and two assists, most of that coming from Raheem. And then outside of that, it's really the midfield that looks great for y'all. You have Hakim Ziyech, who hasn't had a ton of appearances, but Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, Christian Pulisic, Connor Gallagher, like those guys are getting appearances and it just doesn't seem to be working out. Yeah, and and on top of that, you know, at the beginning of the season Chelsea started with Tuchel as uh, you know, the manager and Tuchel brought in, you know, I I want to say maybe you can help me with this stat if you remember it, but Chelsea anyway brought in a lot of defenders. I mean, absolutely splurged on defenders in the summer transfer window. You have Wesley Fofana, Kerkarella and Koulibaly joining the team. And those guys have been kind of average as well. And I don't know if Chelsea will even have the money to splurge on a striker, but I I could not have been more pissed off to see that we signed Wash the Bummying. So I, I don't know. I, I think Chelsea will win against Nottingham Forest. But, you know, as a Chelsea fan, I'm looking for success. And Chelsea just don't have it right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually going to say it's going to be a nil-nil draw. Nil-nil draw. Uh, Chelsea won nothing. All right. So that'll kind of conclude some of the matchups we wanted to talk about. But uh, we put together our ones to watch after this Premier League season restart. Um, we put together our 11. And uh, we got it 4-3-3. And let's just start off with the keeper. Who do you got? Uh, are, are we going to go like... Um... You say who you you like as goalie. I say who I like as goalie. Or are we just going to go through our whole starting eleven and talk about it? We'll we'll alternate. So we'll both give our keepers, both give fullbacks, centerbacks, okay. and, and okay. down. Um, at goalkeeper, I actually have Ederson. Um, we haven't seen him play in a while. <laughs> he kind of went to the World Cup and just sat behind Allison. And I'm really excited to see how he comes back and plays with Manchester City. Just as simple as that. Yeah, and, and then so for me, at goalie, uh, I have a guy who really shined throughout the World Cup, Emiliano Martinez. Um, he was a ridiculously good keeper for Argentina. Definitely, um, probably the second or third most important player for that squad to win that World Cup. I so he actually would have been my goalie, but 
I here's here's kind of a take. This isn't my stake, uh, my claim take, but I think the phone will be ringing for him come January, and I don't think he'll play many Premier League games. Interesting. I, I like that take. I, I think it's true. Um, there will be a lot of interest. It's just about is Villa completely willing? Because yeah, they're not in a great spot. They're twelfth right now, but. You know, after such a, a solid World Cup, I think Martinez will come in with a lot of um, energy and and hype around him. And look, they've given up 25 goals already this season. I think that with his performance in the World Cup, it'll give him some motivation. And I think that that goal differential will continue to lower. They're, they're at a negative eight goal differential right now. I think they'll kind of revert to the middle. I like that take. You know, he he's coming off of a really ridiculous World Cup, and I I honestly can't see it slowing down for him. All right. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and give you my fullbacks. So first, I've got Diogo Delot from Man U. Uh, I think that yeah, he's already looked very good, but I think he's really gonna take that next step this uh, for the remainder of the season. He had a solid World Cup, not as good as we'd like to see from Portugal as a team but um, I think that he fits in very well with Man U and, and how he operates and I think that's going to pay off super well uh, you want to go ahead and give me one of your fullbacks yeah I'm actually I'm, I'm going to save one of my fullbacks for uh, the last fullback that we do but my first one is going to be uh, Mr. Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, he, he's been under a lot of scrutiny saying that he can't defend he can only cross uh, he had a decent World Cup and I'd like to see him come back and play well for Liverpool yeah, he, he didn't start very much in the World Cup, which really caught me by surprise. They favored Kyle Walker's experience. But, yeah, I think that he he's world-class, 100%. And, yeah, you can say that maybe his attacking abilities are more, uh, more important to him than his defending abilities, but he's still a solid defender at right back. It, it's just that he has the tendency to float towards the front, uh, get the crosses and kind of let Salah play back right outside the box. But I think that Trent will look really good. Yeah. And I, I want to give you my left back, uh, Nathan Ake from the Netherlands. I really liked him at the world cup. He showed a lot of maturity. He's still a super young guy. Um, I've kind of been keeping up with him since he came to the Chelsea youth Academy. Of course, he's playing for the enemy now, but um, that's okay. I'm only hurt a lot of it, but Nathan Ake, he looks great in this World Cup, and I, I could see him honestly working his way into the Manchester City starting lineup a little bit more often. Yeah, I, I like that take. I've been uh, kind of following Nathan Ake since he kind of burst on the scene as like a young guy that maybe got a couple starts in like some Champions League matches for City, and um, but he wasn't really the starter, and he's definitely bloomed into a solid defender for Man U and especially for the Netherlands. So I'm interested to see what he's got. But I'll give you my last fullback. I've got Takahiro Tamayasu from Arsenal. Uh, I think that coming off of a very successful World Cup for Japan, though he wasn't really getting the starts, he had made an appearance in three of the four games. And I think it was mainly because um, that system that they were running, they were running a three at the back, and I don't think that really works well for Tamayasu. And I think that he's actually a very skilled player, but as a fullback. So I think that he's going to contribute even more to how well Arsenal's been. 
playing, and I, I think that it's really going to pay off for him. I, I like that one. I like that one. Um, my okay, my center backs now. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about one of them, and I'm going to go ahead and talk about him now instead of waiting. Thiago Silva. Uh, what a what a performance for Brazil. I think we talked about him uh, one of the times that we covered the World Cup in this podcast, and he he's a living legend. And if you're not watching every second of his soccer left then you're doing yourself a disjustice. I mean, he's old as shit, but playing like he's in his prime. And I, he had an awesome World Cup, and I think he can come back and help Chelsea out big time. Yeah, Thiago Silva has been a, a top center back since I can even remember really following soccer. And I, I think that, yeah, he, he's continued to play well throughout age. And that is definitely a difference maker for him. Yeah, I think he could have a great rest of the season. Uh, for me, uh, I'm, first I'm going to talk about Manuel Akanji uh, for Man City. Oh, uh, I like- I, he hasn't been like the star there, only because of Ruben Diaz. And I think that he will emerge as the better center back for them this season. Yeah, um, Akanji is the Swiss guy that came from Dortmund, right? Correct. Yeah, and he's only gotten better and this world cup was i mean it was absolutely thrilling to watch him play so yeah i would i don't know if he will work his way into the city lineup but it it would be pretty cool especially following this world cup yeah i i would like to see him and ruben diaz playing next to each other for the rest of the season akanji's already made nine appearances he's even gotten assist in the prem already this season which is a little surprising for a center back but yeah, I think he's got a huge upside, and coming off of a good World Cup, he's got a chance to ride this momentum and play extremely well. Yeah, um, and I let me get into my second center back here. It's actually going to be Lissandro Martinez. We we might have the same one here. Um, we don't. Okay, cool. Now we can we can disagree then. Um, <laughs> Sandra Martinez, uh, he was on fire for Manchester United, kind of leading up to the World Cup, and he went to the World Cup, had a good one, and I think his growth just seems incredibly rapid right now. So who knows what he'll look like once he um, works his way back into the United lineup again after coming back from the World Cup. But yeah, he's definitely one that I will be paying attention to. Yeah, Lissandro Martinez is good, for sure. He's been on solid form, but he's a little bit up and down when it comes to his performance with Man U. Um, Every now and then, he just kind of falls off and goes ghost for like an entire match. So we'll definitely have to see what he can do with that because yeah, he played well at the world cup, a lot of uh, substitution minutes, but started and played the full game against Mexico, which was a solid match, a great defensive play from Argentina in that match. So yeah, I think Lissandro Martinez will look really good for the rest of the season. Uh, But the guy I've got is um, kind of, I wouldn't say he's an emerging talent because he's 25 now, but Tosin, uh, I, it's so hard to say his name. I had figured it out before we recorded. It's Adara Bioyo, I believe, uh, for Fulham. He looks so good. 10 appearances. He hasn't gotten subbed off once. He's got 10 appearances, 900 minutes. He's got a goal already this season out of defense, and I, I think he looks super good. Fulham has been a, a bit of a surprise. Um they're all the way up at nine right now, uh, a goal differential of plus one. They've only conceded 26. And yes, they're not going to rival the top teams in the table, but 
I do think that Adara Bioyo's defense is extremely valuable to their success. Yeah, he's a, obviously an extremely young guy. And, you know, with Fulham being ninth, it, it would just be really cool to see a young guy um, be able to work his way into a team that kind of really isn't supposed to be successful, but they are successful. So I really like that one. Yeah, he looks so good. And I, I think that's really going to pay off for Fulham. I think I could see them finishing and staying in the top 10. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with my left center mid. And that's going to be uh, McAllister from Argentina. What a World Cup he had. He was kind of one of the stars on their team, uh, in my opinion. He was bringing himself up for shots constantly, which, you know, for center mids is really hard to do. You know, every shot you take is probably going to be a long shot. You're going to have defenders running up with momentum flying at you. And he looked really awesome in this World Cup. And I think he'll come back and look even better for Brighton. Yeah, I think that he's got a chance to really show out. Um Coming back to Brighton, they're they're way overplaying expectations for sure. And I think that his uh, addition in the midfield is going to be huge for them. Yeah, uh, l- let me hear your center mid. Who you got? So I'm starting, uh, I've got, the way I set mine up is a little weird. I've got a defensive mid, um, and then I've got a cam, and then a guy that can kind of play all over the midfield. So uh, I'm starting with Tyler Adams, the captain of the USA men's national team. He looked great, and he's a true leader, and I think that that's what Leeds needs. They're at 15 right now on the table. They're 4-3-8. and eight. It's not looking great. They've got a negative six goal differential, but they've got guys that made appearances, like I said, and I think that it's going to be a difference maker for them. Look, they've got a solid keeper in Meslier. They've got some some decent players in the defense, uh, Robin Koch, um, Diego Llorente, Liam Cooper, they've all made solid appearances. Um, and I, I do think that Leeds can turn it around for the rest of the season, and I think that's going to ride off the back of Tyler Adams. Man, I really, really enjoy that one, actually. Yeah, Tyler Adams, I mean, you know the Leeds coaches are probably fucking drooling at him watching his press conferences because, I mean, that's exactly what you want your leader to be. And I don't think he's the captain's for Le- the captain for Leeds now, but, like, I just just the way that he carried himself on the pit on and off the pitch during the World Cup was just really really something to behold and you know the Leeds coaches and players were watching that. Yeah, 100%. So uh yeah, I'd like to hear your next midfielder. So, my next one is actually going to be Casemiro. I loved how he played for Brazil. He keeps on proving more and more that he's, you know, he's more world class than he was the last time he played. And I, I think, you know, Manchester United, who are sitting in fifth right now at the Europa League spot, I think he'll be the key to turning them around and getting them a Champions League spot. I really like that take, for sure. All right, so my next midfielder is Martin Odegaard. Uh, we talked about him earlier when we were talking about Arsenal. Uh, I think we've all kind of been waiting around for, for years and years now with Martin Odegaard. Ever since he signed with Real Madrid, he was like the wonder kid of the moment, and he just never did anything at Real Madrid. Uh, I think he's had a couple of loan stints, but now with Arsenal, it, it's time for him to turn up. He had a solid year last year, but now he looks great. You know, Going into the break, he had 14 appearances, six goals, four assists, and he's, he, he's the, I believe he's tied for the goal-scoring lead for Arsenal. And he's making a huge impact in the midfield. 
Yeah, I, I love Martin Odegaard a lot. Um, and, and you know what? It's also time for his country to be in the World Cup as well, um, kind of aside from the fact. But I know we've talked about it before. You know, Norway will be dangerous. Uh, mark our words. But, uh, yeah, Martin Odegaard for Arsenal, he's been a lot of the reason that they're first. And I feel like, you know, agreeing with you, he'll be a lot of the reason that they stay first. Yeah, he, he's been fantastic. And like I said, we've waited around a lot for Martin Odegaard to kind of pan out i think we all knew that he had the skills needed it just seemed like he didn't have a spot at real madrid i thought it was an interesting signing at the time because it's a great place to develop for sure but at that moment when he signed their midfield was all locked up Uh, it was isco modric and cruz like he had no spot so i I think it's going to be interesting to see you know, can Martin Odegaard hold this up across the entire season and possibly be the leader that Arsenal needs to hold first place and possibly finish in a Champions League spot? Yeah, I, I really like that take. Um, really like that take. So I'm going to go ahead and get into my last midfielder. I'm going to go with Bruno Fernandes because here, here's the thing. He had an awesome World Cup aside from the Ronaldo drama. He, uh, leading up to the World Cup, he was playing decently for Manchester United. Also, aside from the Ronaldo drama and the Ronaldo adversity, it keeps on following him around. And I feel like now that it's, you know, kind of winding down, we'll see a much better form of Bruno um, after the World Cup. Yeah. And, and obviously, Bruno is world class. Like, he is a top player in the world. It, it's just exactly what you said. The Ronaldo problems follow him around, but the guy is a leader, especially in this Man United locker room. Look, he takes the penalties, he takes the free kicks. And, you know, it takes a guy that everybody trusts to have those responsibilities. Yeah, and, and kind of to, you know, keep talking about Bruno some more is Manchester United actually, you know, know how to place him, know how to position him. Because you and I grilled Portugal for their loss against Morocco. And a lot of why Portugal lost against Morocco was because Bruno was kind of out of position, still played well. But, you know, Bruno's got to be in key areas, and you've got a game plan for him to be in key areas. And Manchester United has always known how to do that. And I think, you know, with the adversity, like I said earlier, dying down, plus with Manchester United knowing how to positioning, position him, unlike Portugal, Bruno will flourish. Yeah, 100%. And I could sit here and talk about how Bernardo Silva could have been on the wing while Bruno was in the midfield forever. But uh, I'd like to get into my last guy in the midfield. Uh, I had to do it again. Another homer pick, Brendan Aronson for Leeds. Look, 15 appearances, he's got a goal and an assist for Leeds, but he was playing kind of a uh, mid-game substitution role for the U.S. men's national team, only because he hasn't had uh, plenty of appearances just yet. But the kid's 22 years old, and he, honestly, I think he could be on top of the world by the end of this Premier League season. Wow, that's a that's a big take there. And I say that not not saying that, like, oh, he's going to be, like, the best midfielder even just in the Prem. I, I think that for him personally, his confidence is going to go up. Look, he was just playing against world-class players day in, day out for the men's national team. And now he's coming back to England, and this is his first season. And I, I know it's tough because it's a long break. To, to happen just in the middle, like right after the 15-game mark, everybody stops, and, and it makes it tough. But I think that Brendan Aronson's time spent during the World Cup is what's going to help 
kind of boost him forward. And I think he's going to be a, a huge, huge part of Leeds this season. I, I, I agree with you. I, I think that he'll come back and play better, but I don't think he's going to be one of my ones to watch for the second half of the prim season. He'll definitely be one of my ones to watch for, you know, his entire career because, I mean, look, 22 years old, he's, you know, getting minutes at Leeds, uh, substantial minutes at Leeds, that is, and he's seeing the World Cup already. I mean, he's, he's young and he's getting playing time and, you know, very, very hard um, games being the Premier League and the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do want to hear what you've got uh, left wing. Left wing is Christian Pulisic. Oh, my God. As a Chelsea fan, please, motherfucker, please. He had an awesome World Cup. I really liked his mentality through his injury. He wanted to play. He wasn't going to let, you know, his, uh, what was it, a bruised balls? He bruised his right nut, left <laughs> nut. That. Uh, <laughs> I, I believe it was the pelvic bone. Yeah, it, let's just let's just be honest. I mean, that region is shattering for a man, but he wasn't going to let it stop him against the Dutch, and he came back and played decently. Um, but for Chelsea, he's just been kind of average. I've always kind of criticized Pulisic at Chelsea. Um, I think he's very overrated in America, but here's the time frame to turn it around, and I think he'll definitely be one of my ones to watch, especially since Chelsea are so poor at goal scoring. I, I would really like to see him step up and fill that role. Yeah, I think that Pulisic has a spot there if he shows out in his appearances. Look, he needs to prove it to the the entire team at Chelsea and all of the managers and coaches that he is the one. And I, I, it just seems like I'm not sure if he's not getting the opportunities or if he's just not capitalizing on them, but he's got to do better. Yeah. And I want to hear your left wing, Grayson. Lay it on. So my left wing uh, will not be a part of the team until January 1st, but Cody Gokpo for Liverpool. I think he's actually going to get significant playing time. But when you look at his stats from the uh, from PSV this season already, 14 starts, he's got 9 goals, 12 assists. That is ridiculous numbers. Yeah, and if you're a Liverpool fan, I mean, your team's in sixth place and, you know, you're kind of on – on a decline compared to how you've been the last couple seasons. I think Gokpo is going to add some, you, you know, usually the depth players that you bring in, you know, regardless of the sport, aren't going to change things or shake things up too much. But I think that this one could. Yeah, for, for sure. And look, Cody Gokpo is a playmaker. And adding that to an already strong Liverpool squad is going to be huge. In the last three years at PSV, so er, including this year, He's he's got the nine goals and um sorry, he's got nine goals, twenty-nine assists, or sorry, nine goals, twelve assists, and it, it looks amazing. And then last year, twelve goals, thirteen assists. The year before that, seven goals, three assists, and it just seems like he's doing what he needs to do. And, and the guy's got a crazy build for a winger. He's six four, one sixty-eight. That it doesn't seem like he should be on the wing, but he is. And look, he's got speed. He's got the playmaking ability. I think he's actually going to be a, a very strong player in the Prem. Yeah, and the only thing that I have to add to that is I also uh, had notes on. Um, I had notes on him and his height. You know, you you don't find many playmakers that are six four, and th that can be very valuable to a team. And I I think he adds great depth. Yeah, and just on top of that, like, 
the kids scored a goal in all three of their group stage matches for Netherlands. And wow. it's it's huge for them to, you know, get that type of perseverance. Look, that's a strong Netherlands squad. They've got a ton of goal scorers and playmakers throughout that lineup. And for Cody Gokpo to really shine in a lineup of guys that play outside of Netherlands, he looked fantastic. Hey, Grayson. Yeah? You want to hear my right mid? Oh, for sure. Hakeem Ziyech uh, from Morocco. Uh, I loved his World Cup. He he looked a lot better than he has for Chelsea in the recent games that um, he's played in the Premier League, but... I think with Chelsea's goal-scoring trouble, I, I don't think Hakeem Ziyech is actually starting in this team anymore. But who knows? Maybe with how good he played with Morocco, I think he may have only scored one goal. But still, Chelsea need all they can get right now. And Hakeem Ziyech had a good World Cup, so I think he'll make his way back into the starting lineup. Yeah, I do want to kind of bounce off of this. Since you know your two wingers have been Chelsea players, what do you think that front three is going to look like for him? That, that is such a good question. I mean, I, I think right now, I, I, I truly don't know. None of them have been playing well enough, but I kind of just going off this list, I, I do think it'll be Pulisic and Ziyech. They're, it, I, I have always been the one, especially when it comes to soccer, you play players who are in good form, not who are like playing against the best talent, but you play the players who are in form. And Pulisic and Ziyech right now are coming off a great form. So I think they'll be the wingers and – Probably a bummying will be the striker, but I hope in January that changes. So you think Raheem Sterling isn't going to start? Not anymore. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it is a take because he has he has actually been pretty decent for Chelsea. He's been kind of the only light there, but Pulisic and Ziyech got more playing time in the World Cup. They both look good. I think you'll see more minutes out of those two. All right. Well, then, yeah, I'll give you my right winger. Um it's the the young guy for Arsenal, Bukayo Saka. He's becoming one of the best players, at least at right wing, um, in the Prem. He genuinely makes a huge impact on this Arsenal squad. And we just talked about how great the youth is for this team. And he's most definitely one of, if not the biggest, like shining star in that young core. He's got 15 appearances, five goals, six assists. And look, the kid's got composure and he's very confident in the way that he plays. And I know he's kind of more of a right mid, but I put him at right wing just for the sake of it. And I think that he truly does have the ability to be even like a top 10, top 15 player this season in the Prem. I, I agree with that. Um, Sokka has been such a, such an entertaining player to watch and, the only other thing I really have to add to that is I, I'm just excited to see how good he'll be in the next couple of years. I mean, he's only getting better at a rapid pace. His team is in um, is first place in the Premier League right now for the first time in God knows how long they've been this good. And a lot of it's due to this young player, Saka. So I'm really excited to see how he'll grow. Yeah, uh, I think that he really does have a chance to hold this Arsenal team in their position. Uh, I think Arsenal really around the board, like across the board looks really good. They size up well against just about every team. And that's why they're in first right now. And I think they can hold on to it for a while. I don't, I don't know if they'll really finish it, it first. I, I don't think they will, 
but they've got a chance to hold it for a few more weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me hear your striker. Well, my striker is probably going to be the reason that Arsenal doesn't hold this first place title uh, in a few weeks. It, it's Erling Holland. Look, I know he's not one to watch now, but you know it, it's still his first season in the Prem. He just got to Man City. He's got 20 goals. Look, I I can't even say it enough. We could say that he's got 20 goals a million times, and I still don't think you'll get it. (laughs) It, It's ridiculous how good he is. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Like, 14 appearances. One of them is a substitute. 20 goals. He's got a couple of assists as well. The dude is literally the best player on the planet right now. Not even a hot take. It, I, I don't see who you could put up against him. Maybe Mbappe, you know, following his World Cup. But I, I would say Mbappe is more of a complete player. But Holland's goal-scoring ability alone makes him a more valuable player to a team than Mbappe. Yeah, well, I want Mbappe to do it in the Prem first. <laughs> Can he do it on a rainy night in Stoke, as they say? Exactly. Exactly. That's I know he can't. I know he it. Can't. He can't. <laughs> so... My striker um, is kind of another guy who's hot right now. Of course, not, not as hot as Erling Holland because who is as hot as Erling Holland? Um, but I like Richarlison coming off of a crazy World Cup performance and his team Tottenham is in fourth place. And I think, you know, with his good form, he could probably push them into the top three, maybe even the top two. Yeah, he is extremely good. And yeah, I agree. His form is outstanding, but you really need to rely on his his play and it's going to be hard yeah uh i just i i like where he sits at with tottenham um as i said they are in fourth place they're doing super well this year and with, with his good form I, I i feel like tottenham will really appreciate uh richarlison once he comes back for sure yeah and i haven't watched a lot of tottenham are him and harry kane on the field at the same time uh that's actually a good question um I, I don't know, but following the World Cup form, you know, regardless of how, um, you know, who's starting and who's not, Richarlison had a way better World Cup than Harry Kane did. So maybe it shakes things up. Yeah, it, it very well could. And I think Tottenham has a lot of stuff to work on when it comes to, you know, the remainder of this season. Uh, they've got some guys that are coming back from the World Cup that had great appearances. Ivan Perisic looked great in the World Cup for Croatia. Uh, in just across the board, but you know, Larice looked good, but that final match was concerning. And then there's just I feel like they don't have the defense, at least on like a world class standard, that you'd want to see for them. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. Tottenham definitely have some uh, some places to build there. Anything else you want to add? Any honorable mentions? Anything like that? Not not really. I'm just I'm buzzing for the stake your claim. Can't All wait. right. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. Hey, Luke, I want I want you to go first. You sure? Oh yeah. All right. Um my claim. And this one hurts to say, but th- this is just me as a football fan and and me having to put my heart before what I actually want to see. You ready for this, Grayson? Oh, yeah. Tua should really consider playing out the rest of the season. Uh, His concussions have been 
awful. And that, I mean, my take really has no stats behind it. It's just kind of, I, I really don't think, I think Tua should sit out. Uh, and even regardless of, you know, how the Dolphins are sitting right now, you know, they're still, you know, kind of on a seesaw, whether they're going to be in the playoffs or not. I, I, I think Tua needs to look at his future here and re- I, I think he needs to stop playing the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I agree. And a, a certain, at a certain point, like it's not his decision. So uh, I think that, you know, regardless, he needs to sit out. Whether they make the playoffs or not, he shouldn't play. Yeah. Um, concussions, you know, as we talked about earlier um, with Tua, are just such a big part of football now. Um, and, man, the, the one against the Bengals where, you know, he was on – he was at midfield and his fingers were, you know, all doing kinds of crazy stuff was super scary. And the fact that he has another one, it's just not worth it. He's too good of an athlete to lose, and I'm sure his family probably also wants him to to look at other options as well. I'm not saying he should retire. I just think he really needs to take some time, maybe do some tests on his brain, and really figure out if it's okay for him to you know continue. Yeah, I, I think this off season is going to be very big, possibly you know a really hard off season for Tua because. Look, it's not easy to come back from something like this. It's not even just the physical problems that it gives you. It's the mental. And he's going to struggle with it, certainly. Nobody has a season like this with these kind of injuries, and is just so ready to come back. It's going to be a process for him. And I'd like to think that two is a player that can come back from this. But, you know, at a certain point, there is no coming back. If he gets hurt again like this, it, it doesn't look good for his future, and he needs to be in the NFL. The NFL needs a guy like Tua. Look, we love to talk shit. All of us do. Every person loves to talk shit on Tua, but you got to respect the fact that he's good enough for us to talk shit. Yeah, and, and on top of that, you know, the NFL needs more lefty quarterbacks, so, you know, keep Tua in the NFL. <laughs> Agreed. All right, Grayson, lay it on me. All right. And I hinted towards it when we were talking about the playoff picture. The Jets are making the playoffs. Yes. Why? All right. So the Pats are going to beat the Dolphins this week. All right. So both the Patriots and the Dolphins will be eight and eight. The Jets are going to get the win against the Seahawks. That'll put all three teams at 8-8. Eight and eight. The Jets are going to end up beating the Dolphins in Week 18 without Tua, and that'll eliminate the Dolphins. The Patriots have the Bills in Week 18, and though the Bills will have already kind of cemented their spot, they've still got that first seed to defend. So the Bills are still going to be busting their ass in Week 18. I think the Bills have the edge over the Patriots in that one, which will leave the Jets at 9-8. and eight. The Dolphins and Pats at eight and nine, and the Jets will take that seventh spot. Oh man, I I I hope it happens. I I still think it is a hot take because the the Jets are super cold right now. But look, Mike White's cleared to play. I mean, there are so many positives, so many positives for the Jets, and uh, I I hope it happens, man. I can't wait to see Mike White in the playoffs. Yeah, I, how do you think they'll do in the playoffs if they do make it? Oh, you come in at seven, you got to face 
one of the big three, the three-headed monster at the top. So it, you're kind of screwed either way. But I, I, I don't think they'll make it out of the first round. But I do want to see them in the playoffs. Yeah, that that does, you know, I, I like that. But, but what if the Jets get the Bills in the wild card? I think if that happens... You know, the way that rivalry games work in the NFL, if I'm a Bills fan, I wouldn't want to play the Jets, especially if they get hot and late, make it to the playoffs. That, that could be a, you know, a trap game for Buffalo. Who knows? Oh, yeah. It, it definitely could. And, you know, we'll see. I, I don't think the Jets have the playoff experience in general to warrant them making a, a, a run. But I, I think they've got what it takes to at least make it. Yeah, and, and like I've said in a previous podcast, you know, if you're a Jets fan, if even if you lose out, you know, but like making the playoffs this season, holy shit, you guys, you guys are gonna be around for a long time. Let me tell you, Jets fans, I wouldn't even worry. It's, I, I'm jealous of a lot of the rookies that you brought in this season. I'm jealous of my coach. It's, uh, it's looking good in uh, New York. Yeah. All right. Well, do you have anything else for the people? Um, Steelers in seven. <laughs> That's all I got. Steelers in seven. Steelers will make the playoffs, I think. All right. Yeah, you can you can think that. <laughs> you have given me a platform to be a degenerate Steelers fan, not, you know, in my household or in my friend group. But, like, now I can actually spew my propaganda among viewers and stuff. But, no, that's uh, – yeah, I'll just leave it with that. The Steelers will make the playoffs. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we will catch you all next week. Um, we should have Brock back on Tuesday uh, for Wednesday's episode. And we will be talking college football playoff, bowl game review, uh, just about everything will have wrapped up there outside of a couple of games. But um, with that being said, we will catch you guys next week. See y'all. Peace.